Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. This morning, I'm going to be teaching from Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 18 to 20, what is oftentimes referred to as the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, we'll be looking at verses 18 to 20. Uh, The verses are there in the booklet in front of you, and you can follow along on the screen as well. If you brought your Bible or have your iPhone, iPad, or Android device, you can follow along. Uh, I'm going to be using the New International Version. So Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 18, hear now the words of the sovereign God. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Well, as we just did a couple of minutes ago in praying for the the three mids in our congregation that are going to be graduating on Uh, Sunday. This is Commissioning Week. We used to refer to it as June Week because it used to happen a little bit later, but it's now Commissioning Week because it's an exciting week of events. You know, many of us are aware that the Blue Angels are going to be here and all these different events and things that are going to be happening. And it's exciting for everyone, but it's especially exciting for uh, the mids. And the culmination of all of it is actually the commissioning ceremony. I remember the day in the stadium when I raised my hand and I received a commission as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps, what I had been looking forward to was finally here. Uh, I was actually an officer in the United States Marine Corps. And so this idea of commissioning is obviously pretty relevant, and we do it every year around here. But it's important for us to recognize Christians have all received a commission. If you don't go into the military, you don't understand what it's like to receive a commission in that way. And it's not a term we use very much. But in fact, if you are a Christian, you have been commissioned. So what I want to go over in the next few minutes is who's commissioned us and what's he commissioned us to do? What does it mean that you and I have been commissioned? So let's dive into what the scripture says. Well, the first thing, if you're going to talk about being commissioned is there has to be a commissioning authority, somebody who has the authority to be able to give you a commission. In this case, it's Jesus Christ. We're told in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is because, again, you can't, I could not stand up on Friday and commission Seth, Danielle, and Wyatt to do anything because I don't have authority from our government to be able to do that. The person who does that has to be given authority that enables them to say, I'm now delegating authority down to you. And so in this case, it is Jesus who does this, and he tells us, I can give you this commission because I have all authority. Every ounce of authority, in fact, in the entire universe is now mine. And notice, he not only says all authority, but then to 
underscore that. He says, I want you to understand by all authority, I mean all authority in heaven, and I have all authority on earth. So I have the authority in heaven to give you this commission, and I have the authority on earth to make sure that you are able to fulfill the commission that I am giving to you. And we should understand as believers, this is a new authority for a new era in human history. Jesus is not here saying, as God in the flesh, I have all authority. He is talking about in his role as Messiah, as the Son of Man, he has been given authority from the Father. So notice here he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's not talking about the authority he enjoyed with the Father before he became human for us and for our salvation, but rather something new where there is a fulfillment actually of Old Testament prophecies that have now come true, and as a result, he has authority. What I'm speaking of specifically is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In the book of Daniel, Daniel, uh, who works in the government and has great authority, he's given a vision, and he says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. This is the same phrase that's used in the book of Revelation, and Jesus used that title for himself. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So notice here in this prophecy, one who is a son of man is led into the presence of the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father, and he is given authority, and that authority is over all nations, all peoples, all languages, so that they all will worship him, and he's given a kingdom that has authority now and in eternity. That's the background. That's what Jesus is picking up on here in Matthew chapter 28 when he says, all authority is mine. Everything Daniel wrote about the Son of Man is now true. And the reason that Jesus is able to say this is because he has submitted to God the Father's will. He submitted to even death, but he has now conquered death. And so Paul tells us in a similar passage in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. They're all saying the same thing. He speaks of Jesus and says, "...in being found in appearance as a man..." He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, notice the therefore, because he did this submission and he submitted even unto death, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So notice, because Jesus humbled himself to the lowest place, Paul says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place so that he's got the name above every name and every knee is going to bow to him. He has authority over all and one day every knee is going to bow. And Jesus is saying, as a result of that, I'm commissioning you to go forth and do something. So the commissioning authority is Jesus, and here's a bit of good news for the church, and I want to remind us of this. Who has all authority? Can't hear y'all. Who's got all authority? 
Christ does. Is there a divine, is there a cosmic wrestling match going on that we wonder who's going to win? Okay, Hollywood likes to make movies where the guy you've cheered for and he seems so strong at the end, suddenly there's somebody else and everything is hanging in the balance. That's not the way this works. This would be a short superhero movie. He has all authority. Every bit is his. There is no wrestling match for who is in control. The end has already been determined. And that's good news for us because we're not responsible to make the end turn out a certain way. It's already been determined. We're just responsible to do what we're told to do. So the next question then is, what is the commission? What is it that we're told to do? When these three young folks stand up on Friday and they are commissioned, they're commissioned to a certain task. They have certain things that they are allowed to do and certain things they cannot do by their commission. Well, what are we commissioned by Jesus to do? And the answer is, we are commissioned to make disciples. Notice in verse uh, 19 and 20, he says, therefore, the therefore is there to say, because I have all authority, because all of this is there, here's what's going to happen. You are to do this. You are to go make disciples. And he continues on. Now, what many people do, and you can hear a lot of sermons, and you can see a lot of things where we say the commission is to go. But that's actually not true. That's not what the commission is. Now, you can't tell this so much in English. You'll have to take my word for it a little bit, unless you can read Greek, and then you can verify and check it out. But the actual verb in the sentence is not go. The actual verb is make disciples. Going, baptizing, teaching, and you can tell it with baptizing and teaching where they end with the I-N-G. I won't bore you to go back to grammar school and remember, but that means that they are called participles, which means they're not the main thing. They're telling you how you do the main thing. And so the main thing is make disciples. What's required to make disciples? Well, that includes baptizing. It includes teaching. And if you're going to make disciples of all nations, you have to go. It's just part of what's required to fulfill the commission. But make no mistake, the actual commission is to make disciples. And therefore, you're going to have to go, you're going to have to baptize, and you are going to have to teach. Now, the reason for this is we ought to ask ourselves, because this is another word that's not used all the time today. What exactly is the disciple? Christians use it because it's in the Bible, but most people don't refer to themselves as a disciple outside of the church context. So what do we mean by a disciple? Well, Jesus here tells us, go and make disciples, and what do you do to do that? You baptize, you teach them to obey. Okay, that's what's going on. And so a disciple is a baptized follower of Jesus who continues to learn how to follow him more closely. The first step is actually water baptism. And we've said this before, and actually we had uh, for, for both Seth and Danielle, they were water baptized here because that is our public profession statement announcement of faith that we are disciples. We are followers of Jesus. Now, 
The other thing that comes in then is you have to teach those who have been baptized. And there's a little bit of a play going on here because the word disciple actually meant learner. It comes from the word to learn. Or if you're making disciples, you are actually teaching them is what the word meant. Now, Jesus uses a different Greek word when he says you have to teach them, but there's a little bit of a play on words that we've kind of lost because we don't, we don't use the word disciple, but it originally just meant a learner. A disciple is someone who is constantly learning, figuring out what it is that the master, who they are the disciple of, wants them to do so that they can do it. So if you're going to be a disciple, you have to not only be baptized, you have to be taught because a disciple is a learner. And then notice that what you're taught to do is to obey. Because the goal of discipleship is not simply greater knowledge about Jesus. It's a lifestyle of obedience to his commands. There's a lot of confusion that goes on today. This is not just about filling my head with knowledge. It's about that working down into my life so that I obey what I am told to do. There is much in our culture right now where there are struggles that people say, well, I don't care whatever you believe and you all gather in your church and you believe whatever strange things you want to do. Just don't expect that you can actually do anything about that when it comes out into the public square. We have no option to follow that idea because to be a disciple means I not only have learned this, that I not only believe and agree with it, but I actually do it. 24-7, 365, wherever I am. And if I don't do that, I'm not a disciple. It's that simple. Disciples obey their master. Now, so notice here, what Jesus is telling us is we are all commissioned first to be disciples. Notice he does not say the commission's not go forth and make converts. It's not go forth and get people to pray in our parlance, the sinner's prayer. It's, no, you are to go and make disciples. So the first commission we have is that we are to become disciples, and then we are to turn around and be involved in the process of making other disciples. The commission is to turn unbelieving, sinful, self-centered consumers into disciples, faithful obedient followers of Jesus Christ, which means that we're doing a 180. Everything I was before now changes, and this claims my highest loyalty. And this has to be the mission of the church universal, of every local church, but it is also for every individual believer. All of us are commissioned by Jesus. So the commissioner is Jesus. What we're commissioned to do is make disciples. Who's commissioned? Every one of us. Not just a subset, but every single one of us. Now, if you've listened to the text, you ought to ask yourself and say, well, is that true? Because who is Jesus actually commissioning in Matthew chapter 28? See, he's commissioning in first place the apostles, right? Notice, I'll put up here verses 16 and then 18 and 19, we're told the 11 disciples, there's only 11 because Judas has killed himself by this point, they go to Galilee 
and to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, therefore go and make disciples. So in the first instance, he's actually giving this commission to the apostles. And there is no question the apostles have authority and a calling that all of us don't have, okay? I'm not an apostle, nor are you, nor is anybody else who's alive today. There was a distinct group of people who were the founding, foundational authority of the church. They did things like write scripture, which we don't do, okay? So maybe Jesus is giving this to them, and this is like that. Maybe it does not apply to us. So that's a real question. Does this commission apply only to the apostles? Or maybe it applies to church leaders. Maybe I'm commissioned, but you're not. And your job is to watch and cheer me on to fulfill my commission. Okay, maybe that's it. Or maybe actually it's all of us. Because see, on Friday, there's going to be a lot more people watching people get commissioned than are going to be commissioned. So the question is, are we watching a few get commissioned or are we all commissioned? Well, the answer is we're all commissioned. And the reason we know this is because of several things. First, Jesus tells the apostles it's not enough that you're commissioned. To fulfill the commission, you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit to empower you. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you to empower you. Now, we know this because in the book of Acts, the same time that Jesus is giving them this commission, he also tells them this. This is in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 8. He says, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. And he's telling them it's the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized in water, but you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8 he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In other words, what he's telling him is, look, I've told you you're commissioned. I've told you you're going to go. I've told you you're to take it to all nations. Well, how are you going to do that? You're going to do that because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and when the Spirit comes upon you, He's going to empower you, and you are going to be my witnesses. Now, if that only happened to the apostles, then it would be clear that the Great Commission only applied to the apostles. But actually, today, if you follow liturgical church calendars, you know today is actually Pentecost, Sunday. The day we remember that did the Holy Spirit only come upon the apostles? No, in fact, who did he come upon? All Christians. That's the whole point. He came upon everybody because the empowering to be able to fulfill the Great Commission, to be witnesses, to take the gospel forth to every nation, came upon not just the apostles, but in fact upon every single believer. In Acts chapter 2, we, we read about that, and we won't go through the whole chapter, but the Holy Spirit comes on them, and then Peter stands up to proclaim what is happening, and he says this in verses 16 to 18. He quotes a Old Testament prophecy. He says, no, what you're looking at is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on who? All people. See, in the Old Covenant, who did the Spirit come upon to do ministry? Basically, prophets, priests, and kings. A few people. But see, God had said, no, in the New Covenant, it's not going to be that way. 
It's not going to be a few people. If you are part of my covenant people, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and it will be all people. On all people, the Spirit is going to come. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So notice, he's going out of his way here. Whenever God does this, you know, all people. And then he says, look, sons, daughters, young, old, even hand servants, which is basically even slaves. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your calling or position in society is. If you are part of my people, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on you and you will now be like a prophet of God. You will be able to speak the very words of God and you're speaking it to others. And so what this means, do not mistake it. The day of Pentecost is God saying the call and the commission is no longer restricted to a few. It's not simply an Isaiah or a Jeremiah, a Moses or a David. Everyone, young and old, male and female, rich and poor, slave and master, it does not matter who you are, if you are in the people of God, the Spirit of God is given to you and you are empowered. And empowered to do what? to speak forth the word of God, to fulfill the very commission that Jesus is given to us. This is actually the fulfillment of Jesus' great commission promise. We didn't look at the very end of verse 20, but notice what Jesus said. He, in essence, told them, you're going to need something to be able to fulfill this commission. I've got the authority. I'm commissioning you. What do you need? You need me to be with you. And so in verse 20, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. No matter when you live, no matter where you go, no matter who you are, I will be with you because the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon the people of God. No longer restricted to a few. Folks, we do not understand the privilege we have. In the Old Covenant, you, you would travel and you would go down to the temple and you had to go through all of these rituals for the few people who had been commissioned by God to do the ministry. And they did something and then you would go back home and you would wait for another year. And that spirit that was restricted to a few is given to everybody. And that spirit was just kind of dabbed upon them. He is poured out upon you. He is poured out upon me. He dwells within us and he overflows out of us. Jesus said it's going to be like a stream of living water just pouring out of you. That is the privilege you have. Moses only had a small inkling of what every believer in Jesus Christ has. Every believer. Moses would not understand you looking back and saying, it must have been great to be there. Moses would say, man, it must be great to be you. Man, I, I've got the Spirit on me, but nobody else does. Now the Spirit's on all of you. Everybody filled, everybody commissioned. And so it should not be surprising that the practice of the early church was not that a few people were engaged and commissioned, but everybody was. In fact, if you want to see, Jesus is here telling us that you're going to go. Well, the first time that we really see the gospel go in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. We'll just read 1 and 4. Notice what we're told here. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. So the apostles stayed. 
the people who had been there when Jesus did the commission we're looking at, they, they all stayed. But notice what happened in verse 4. Those who had been scattered, which is who? Everybody except the apostles. What did they do? They preached the word wherever they went. In other words, the Great Commission's being fulfilled, but who's it being fulfilled by? Everybody except for the apostles. So anybody who wants to say it's restricted just to the apostle has to deal with the fact that the very first time we actually see it happening, it's being done specifically by the group that is not the apostles. Everybody else is doing it because they all understood that's why they had received the Spirit and that's what they were commissioned to do. What continues on, in Acts chapter 11, we see the very first time the gospel goes to Gentiles. This should be a favorite passage of Scripture of yours if you're not Jewish. Because you and I were without God. We were without hope. But Jesus said the gospel was going to come to us. And Acts chapter 11 is where it comes to us. And notice what we read. Now those who had been scattered, this is starting in verse 19, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, that's back in Acts 7, we, we just read about there in Acts 8, so this is the same people, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, that's Gentiles, also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So how did the Gentile mission start? Did it start in a backroom strategy session with the 11 apostles sitting around figuring out what to do? No. There's a group of people, and they didn't even have a strategy session. They're going, and why were they going? Because they were getting killed if they stayed. That's why they were going. So circumstances were, I now find myself in Antioch. Never been to Antioch before, but here I am. But what do I do when I get to Antioch? Well, the Spirit's been given to me, and I've been told to preach, so I'm going to start preaching. And God does not look, notice, and say, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you guys doing? You're running amok down there. I needed a few leaders to come here and do this first, so you guys just stop that. What are we told God's response is? God is with them, and his hand is moving among them, and a great number of people believe and turn to the Lord. Now, later on, Paul's going to come and be involved with this group, and he's going to set out and do very specific journeys. But notice the mission started just as people were going through life. I'm on a business trip. Situation came, and I was forced to move somewhere else. But what that was was not a sign of, oh, well, I don't know what to do. No, this just means God's opened a new door. There's new people for me to be able to reach out to and share the gospel with. And so these folks are the very instruments, and notice they're reaching out to the other nations that are part of Matthew chapter 28. And so we could track it through the book of Acts the same way. This was the practice of the early church, everyday believers engaged in mission. But we not only have that in the book of Acts, we also know that this is actually God's plan. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're given a very critical passage that tells us why leaders are given to the church. And I'm going to use the English Standard Version here because it, it translates the Greek, I think, a little more accurately on one important word. And so we're told and he, speaking of Jesus, the ascended Jesus, so the, the one who was there in Matthew 28, and then he was carried up into heaven, that Jesus, we're told, 
gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd and teachers. And here's why he gave them. To equip the saints for the work of what? Ministry. Some translations use service because the word is actually diakonos. It's the word from which we get deacon. But it means ministry. That's what it is. It's the same word that's used for ministry everywhere else. For the building up of the body of Christ. And so the plan in the New Testament is not that leaders are given to do all of the ministry. And I know people who want to actually put a comma in there and say they are given to, quote, equip the saints, comma, to do the work of ministry, comma, to build up the body of Christ, because they're wanting to say that leaders do all the work. First off, it doesn't work that way. Secondly, there's nothing in the New Testament that indicates that. Why did God give the Holy Spirit to all if he was going to continue the old covenant model of the few doing the ministry? It doesn't make any sense. The point is not that the comma is there, but it's the leaders are given to equip saints to do ministry. Because if they had not been equipped, the saints who went to Antioch, could they have possibly fulfilled the commission and shared the gospel? No. If they had not been equipped, what would have happened in Acts chapter 8 when they were spread out? That would have been the end. Oh, well, we just all fell apart because now we're actually cut off from our leaders. But notice none of that happened. Leaders are Jesus' gift to his church so that all believers who've been given the Holy Spirit, who are empowered to be witnesses, can be equipped to fulfill the mission of the church. So, So hear me in this. What we're seeing in all of these texts is that the design and the practice of the early church were that all believers were commissioned by Jesus and equipped by leaders to do the work of ministry. And if you want to know why the early church was so effective, how we went from, let's be blunt, read it in the crucifixion account, 11 scared little guys. How do we go from that to a couple hundred years later, a force that is overwhelming the Roman Empire. We didn't get there by a few leaders doing things. It was the Holy Spirit being poured out on everybody and empowering regular, everyday people. So what that means is if you are here and you're a believer, you've been equipped by God. You've been given what you need and you are released to do ministry. How big a mess would it be if on Friday they had the Commandant of the Marine Corps, the Chief of Naval Operations, stand up and say, you guys are commissioned, but don't do anything. We're going to direct everything. Would, Would the Marine Corps and the Navy work that way? I mean, that would be a disaster. The whole point is you have to make sure other people are able to do the work. Well, God is saying it is all of us who do that work. Now, how do we apply this? Just a couple of brief questions. Number one, first question, I don't want to skip by this. Have you heard and responded to the gospel? Okay. Some, just a general person can't run down on the field on Friday and say, ooh, ooh, commission me. Okay. You have to fulfill the requirements before you can be commissioned. Well, there's only one requirement to be commissioned in God's kingdom. You have to hear and believe the gospel. That's it. There, there is no, it's good news. You don't have to go through four years of being screamed at by people and all kinds of strange things going on and wear funny-looking clothes. 
okay? You only have to do that if you want to get commissioned into the Navy or the Marine Corps. If you want to be commissioned into God's kingdom, you have to hear and believe the gospel. So do you know that Jesus is your only hope of salvation? That there is nothing you can do. That your only hope and your only stand before God is the merit and the work of Jesus Christ. I was listening to a worship song this morning that's called uh, Emmanuel's Land, and it's talking about the glory of Emmanuel's Land. And I love it. It's got a line at the end. It says, uh, I stand on his merit. I know no other stand, not even where glory dwells in Emmanuel's land. What they're getting at is, even when I'm in heaven and I'm standing there, I'm still not going to look and say, well, look what I've done. The only stand I have ever before God is the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness. But here's a bit of good news for you. If you have that righteousness, you have what you need. And if you don't have it, you're bereft of hope. Friend, have you heard and understood the gospel? Are you trusting Him alone for salvation? He's not part. He's everything. Do you believe that? If you believe that, you're in the kingdom. If you do not believe that, you are not part of the kingdom. I don't care what religious rituals you've done. I don't care what name, uh, what, what role your name is listed on. I don't care who your parents or grandparents are or what your lineage is. Or, none of that matters. You are only in by being born again by the Spirit of the living God, by hearing and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Because if you haven't, you can't be commissioned. You can't be part of any of this. So have you done it? If you have not, I urge you with everything in me, trust him today. That is the central issue and question. Second question, these next two are for those who've done that, for believers. Do I understand that all believers are commissioned to be part of God's worldwide mission? This is so essential. We want to make a few heroes and saints. And you know why we like that model? Because then I'm off the hook. I just look at them and say, go get them. But that's not the call. That's not what Jesus has done. We are all commissioned to be part of it. It's not a few heroes and saints. In fact, we've even taken the term saint and we apply it to a few people, right? Like St. Chrysostom, St. Augustine, St. Jerome. But the reality is, as oddly as it sounds, they're no more saint than St. Ryan, St. Brett, St. Mary, St. Myrtle. There's only one... To be a saint means you've been set apart by God. That's all the word meant. It meant you're part of God's holy people. We made a separate group that we said, wow, they're really saints. And God says, I don't even know what that means. You either are, it's like you're really pregnant. No, you either are or you're not. Okay? You either are a saint or you're not a saint. You've either been called and commissioned by God or not. So this is not just restricted to church leaders. Hear me, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you believe and trust in Him alone for salvation, you have been called by God from before the world began. You have been given the Holy Spirit, and you have been equipped to spread the gospel and help build up the body of Christ by making disciples. 
Not to cheer and applaud other people doing the work. You're part of the work. Everywhere you go, everything you do. And I want to tell you, this is your inheritance. Don't settle for less. I remember years ago, after graduating from the academy, I went down to the basic school where Marines had to go uh, for about six months. And there were a few people there that were basically making it sound like I was still trying to earn my commission. And I got very irritated at that. It was like, I spent four years doing that. I'm not doing it again. I've already been commissioned. I've already been, what you're here to do is to train me, not make me act like I'm not commissioned yet. Well, friends, there are too many Christians who've given up their inheritance and they don't believe they've been commissioned. I don't care who you are, young or old, male or female, rich or poor, educated or not. It does not matter what your socioeconomic position is. If you're a believer, you've been equipped, given everything you need to be on mission. Do not ever let anybody talk you out of that. Now that leads to the final question and then we'll close in prayer. If I realize, if I believe the gospel and I realize I've been commissioned, then the last question, and this is where it gets uncomfortable, is how am I engaged in God's mission in the world? Not just that I know, because disciples not only know, they obey. So it's not enough to know that I've been commissioned, am I obeying the commission? So how am I involved in reaching out to others with the gospel? How am I involved in doing that? You know, here's an easy way to do it. Just invite somebody to come to church with you. If you say, well, I I don't know if I could answer all of their philosophical questions. You don't have to. First off, most people don't really have philosophical questions. They don't think any more deeply than you do about things. They just don't. Most people are not some kind of astrophysicist with some kind of question you can't answer. Most people are just trying to muddle through life just like you and I are, okay? And it's not hard to say, hey, you know, I've thought about the same thing. Want to come to church with me? We talk about this very kind of thing and invite them. It's very, very simple. The only thing that's preventing me from doing that is I'm afraid of what they might think. You know, they might not like it if I do that. That's not how a commissioned disciple acts. It's not how a commissioned disciple acts. Are we involved in reaching out to them? We should be looking for opportunities to share with others. They come up all the time where we simply get to engage with somebody in conversation or be there, pray for them, let them know what's going on and to have an opportunity to do that. We are hoping in the future here actually to have an evangelism group. We had some folks go to a a seminar recently where we'll probably be having some things where you can even invite some friends, come in, have a meal, sit down, talk about the gospel in that context, study things together. But whatever way it is, we are all given the commission to share the good news. And it is essential for us to do this. The majority of people in this county do not know Jesus Christ. They just don't. Now, if you've been around here for a while, you know we're passionate about missions around the world. And we are always going to be that. But let me tell you, friend, you don't have to go to some faraway place to find people who don't know the gospel. You can do it right out these doors. Every day, every week. Are we doing that? 
second part of that question to tease it out. How am I working to help other believers grow in Christ here locally? Because the call, again, is not just to make converts, it's to make disciples. Now, one great way I want to encourage to do this, and we're going to be talking about this more and more this year, is small groups. Everybody's engaged as we go back and forth. On Tuesday night, we had a group of us sitting there talking about what we had talked about last Sunday. And the conversation going back and forth, just hearing how God works in different people's lives and what he was doing was very encouraging. It's what the scripture calls iron sharpening iron, strengthening us, helping us grow. That's why we've got them. It is an easy, set-up way for me to be involved in helping other people grow in their faith just to be part of a small group. There's also opportunities, whether it's serving in children's ministry or leading various ministries, are great opportunities to help make disciples. Right now, discipleship is going on upstairs. We are taking young people. I mean, and, and the, the number of times I look and I'm, by the grace of God, I am so grateful. I have four kids, all of whom have embraced the gospel. But all of that started when they were young. It's not like we said, okay, well, now you're 22. I've got to talk to you about this thing, you know, Jesus. That's a little bit late. Okay, that started actually when they were still in the womb. I started talking to them about Jesus. And then we kept doing that. And then there were people here who faithfully worked and labored and trained and week after week and Somewhere between like six and eight years old, all of my kids responded to the gospel, and then we kept discipling and training them. Everybody has an opportunity to be involved in doing that. But whatever way it is, do that. I also want to just throw out there real quickly, because sometimes we, in the same way we think, well, super saints handle this stuff, let me tell you, there are still tribes that have not heard the gospel, and that's not a call for someone else. That might be a call for you. Don't assume it's someone else. Because the people who go, having had the privilege of being on the mission field with them and hanging out missionaries, they're not superhero people. They're just normal people. That's all they are. So maybe God is speaking to one of you to pick up and go and be involved in making disciples. And then the last question, because that was talking about locally, how am I engaged in God's worldwide mission? Now, we've got a saying around here that when it comes to God's worldwide mission, you are either a radical goer, you are a radical sender, or you are radically what? Disobedient. We don't like that. See, we want, I want another choice, which is I'm radically sitting on the sidelines cheering for people. That's not the option. Radical goer, I'm the one going. Radical sender, I am engaged in prayer. I am engaged helping you financially. I will do what it takes to help you be there. Or I am radically disobedient. Because there are 2 billion people who still do not have access to the gospel. They still don't. They are perishing without any access. I have been in villages in Niger where there was not a single believer lived within an hour. And the only hope is somebody's got to go there and help them, and somebody's got to equip people to go there and get to them. Two billion, with a B, that don't have access. Are we engaged? Which of those three 
am I? Friends, we are either called to go, we are called to pray, and to, or we're called to pray and support those who do. That's, that's the only options we've got. And then as we go, see, but it, that flows out of a life. If I'm not passionate about the people around me, am I going to be passionate about people overseas? Not really. Are we engaged? So I, I want to urge and encourage you that you have been commissioned. All of you. It's really cool what's happening to these three on Friday. But what I want to encourage you is when you see the stuff going on, you see the blue angels flying over, you think about that, maybe you open up the Capitol or maybe you get stuck in traffic. Don't just fuss and moan. Maybe that's a reminder, oh yeah, they're being commissioned and I've been commissioned. I've got an even greater commission. Am I doing what I was called to do? Let's stand together and we will conclude with prayer and then I will offer a benediction and blessing over us. Father, in the beginning you created all things through your Son, the eternal Word. And your Spirit hovered over the waters bringing order from chaos and fruitlessness from waste. And you planned our redemption from before time, and you accomplished it through the life, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on your church, fulfilling the covenant promises and equipping your people to fulfill the Great Commission. So Lord, on this Pentecost Sunday, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit? to go forth as your witnesses, reaching the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ, and making disciples of all nations from Annapolis to the farthest corners of the earth. Bless us, O Spirit of the living God, that we might be a blessing to others. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Now I encourage you to receive the blessing of God that is yours in Jesus Christ. God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Go in the blessing of God and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.